Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Joe Leach joins me today to share the story of his circumnavigation of the UK and a bit about his circuit of Ireland as well. We're going to get in-depth on the trip, the motivation, and some of the highs and lows he experienced along the way. It's a great perspective from what was at the time a newer expeditioner taking on a huge challenge. And we had some good laughs on this one as well. So enjoy today's episode with Joe Leach. Hi, Joe. Thank you for joining Paddling the Blue today. Thanks, John. I'm really glad we, we finally managed to make this happen. Yes, it has been a while. We've, uh, we've been talking back and forth by email for a while, but it's nice to be able to connect. So tell us, who is Joe Leach? Well, I'm, I'm a sea kayaker. I'm, I'm based down here in Falmouth in Cornwall. I'm, I'm now a teacher, so um, paddling is, is now, it now kinda has to come second. But paddling's been a really big part of my life, and I, I grew up paddling in the Isle of Man got into paddling about age 13 and it yeah it kind of consumed me for for 10 years maybe more 15 years and it's it's still a fairly big part of my life it was my career for quite a while sea kayaking coaching guiding uh, doing expeditions and in that time I undertook three really really fun trips one around Britain one around Ireland and, uh, and also around Vancouver Island with with Dave Hawken who I know you spoke to not so long ago yeah yeah so let's uh so let's, we'll touch on those trips here. So just out of curiosity, what got you started paddling? So yeah, I had my teenage years on the Isle of Man, which is it's a real playground. A lot of paddlers, a lot of paddlers go there, and and there's there's a really good community of sea kayakers there. I was lucky enough to sort of have the opportunity to do an after school club sea kayaking at our local our local bay with with two coaches, um, Leslie Slight and Jim McGregor. They put on this club and I, I went along and didn't particularly take to it. I had a capsize on that first trip, but I kind of just forgot to stop. I just never got around to stopping. I just, I just, I, you know, it was, I just tolerated it. And then over time, I began to really enjoy it. And we did pool sessions uh, once a week. And I'd go along with being like, um you know, the plastic bats doing skills, rolling, all that stuff. And then I did a Duke of Edinburgh trip. Um, with with a company called Adventurous Experiences, uh, run by Karen Taster, uh, we got out to Norway and that was it. I was I was hooked at that point. We you know we we paddled for a week on the Sonny Fjord, and we were in the wilderness and it was it was great. And I realised what a great vessel the sea kayak is for exploring places, coastlines, and and that was it. That's that's, that's what I wanted to do. I took I, t- I, I took a gap year, um, coaching for for Karen sort of as an assistant, took on some small like one day crossings and started to just expand my reach a little bit in terms of trips. And then um and that was it. I, I sort of had the bug then. It's it stuck with me ever since. So it was that trip that made the difference for you? I think that was the one. I think I was dabbling until then and then we had this just outrageous week in, in Norway. Yeah, camping out of kayaks, fishing out of kayaks cooking fish on a fire and that was it yeah I, I, I knew that was what I wanted to do and so yeah I stuck with it from there. So since then um, you've had a history of going around big islands um, so according to performancecayak.co.uk you've done Ireland in 34 days and you're the current record holder for a circumnavigation around Great Britain at 67 days so let's talk a little bit about about the Great Britain trip first um, so tell us a little bit about 
kind of what started that for you and then kind of your route? All right. So um, while I was working for, for Karen on the Isle of Man, we'd go over to the symposiums in Anglesey and then you'd just be in this melting pot of, of um, well, just, you know, you with like-minded people, people who are really into paddling, people who've done big trips. On, on the evening, there'd be a, a talk given by someone who'd done some trip and that year or one particular year was was Phil, Barry and Harry who gave a talk about their their round Britain trip. I think they'd set off from Anglesey and they'd had just the most crazy adventure of um just basically yeah getting getting their way around this this sort of 2,000 mile route all sorts of mishaps and misadventures along the way and I was inspired. I couldn't believe such a great like trip was just on our doorstep and although it was huge 2000 miles or whatever it only ever was really a day trip at a time and if you if you kept like linking that together you'd you'd complete this this circuit and come back to where you started so once I'd been to that talk it was yeah the the seed was sown and I I I sort of knew I'd I'd want to come back and have a go at that one day I went to university after working for Karen and actually put sea kayaking on hold for three years just played canoe polo and played really hard actually I sort of learned how to train with the rest of the club I met my partner, Jess Orton, who was, she was racing down rivers at the time. She happened to be really good at it. From her, I, I kind of got an idea of, of how to improve, how to get better. So, yeah, sort of putting together my previous sea, sea paddling experience and this, um, this, this sort of knowledge of how to train and sort of, you know, condition and get some fitness together. After uni, I was pretty much ready to go. And the stars just aligned. I didn't have a full-time job, or at least I had flexibility in what I was doing. I met Jeff Allen, who put me in touch with Mike Webb from Rockpool, and he, um, Mike Webb took a bit of a gamble and sponsored me this 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 interesting boat that I'd not really come across before, uh, the Rockpool Taran. And um, I was pretty much set to go. I had everything I needed. I went to Jeff's house one evening, and, and I, I wanted him to give me all the, all the insight of how to do it. You know, what do I need? How do you plan such a trip? How do you plan all the tides? And he just pulled a road atlas out and pretty much said, keep, keep the land on your right and you'll be fine. <laughs> and, um, and I guess that is kind of how it turned out. It was all right. Yeah. I think when I uh, talked to Jeff about his Japan trip, it, it was not that dissimilar where he, I don't think he used a, a chart or anything. It was just a road atlas um, because you're close to the coast, I suppose. Yeah. You've got this big handrail. It's, it's not that hard. I mean, of course, it's great to have all the intel on, on the tides at those crook crux points and and if you're doing open crossings there's some planning needs to go into that but ultimately jeff wasn't wrong you got to just kind of handrail the coast cut some corners where you can keep moving forward and you'll you will get back to where you started so how long between the uh the talk and the kind of the uh, the inspiration for the trip and then the circumnavigation itself yeah something like four or five years i reckon i'd have been 17 yeah 17 years old when i went to that talk it would have been one of you know around then, and then oh maybe a bit longer because I was twenty four when I did the trip so we got university and then I was working for um sea kayak in Cornwall for a couple of years which was really good prep for the trip actually you know just just guiding just getting loads of miles under your belt and thinking about how how to improve performance and how to live out of a kayak while I was guiding multi day trips that kind of put me in quite a good place for 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 taking on the big one and so yeah seven years between seeing that talk. And setting off from Falmouth in May 2012, Jeff kind of came down to the beach with me that morning, waved me off. He goes to me, I'm, I'm sick with envy, doing, setting <laughs> off on your first big trip. 
and I could see he was he wasn't kidding he's you know it's a big deal setting off on that first big trip those first few paddle strokes you're off and that was it day one so how did you prepare mentally for that trip well I don't know really because I didn't know what to expect I knew I could do the mileage I knew I could take on like a big day's paddling and so all, all I really needed to do was to be able to just repeat that and to be able to get up and do it again I think the hardest part of multi-day trips like that is is waking up with your joints aching your muscles aching you probably you probably your kit's probably soggy from the day before and you've got to get back in it and start start putting down miles again over and over again it's the mornings you know it's cold your kit's wet you don't feel good and you've got to sort of trick yourself into into wanting to to go out and do it again I don't know if I did a lot of mental preparation really it was it was more physical made sure I had the miles under my belt did some basic resistance training and a bit of fitness I don't know a trip a trip as long as that six you know two thousand miles you're going to do a lot of the conditioning along the way and actually I didn't really feel fit and strong until I was halfway around until I was up in Scotland and it started to dawn on me ah I can um I'm just not getting tired you know I, I can or at least I can I can do more miles than I've ever been able to do and it's it feels like I'm paying less for it each day so I wasn't really in form until halfway around I don't know other than like getting the kit together and and getting physically prepped I don't think I did a lot of mental preparation I think there was just some hard lessons in the first few weeks that sort of carried me around the rest of the way All right, so it sounds like the trip got easier along the way in some ways, yeah. I mean, you get into the rhythm of it. You know, you know where your kit needs to be in the boat. You get more organised. Uh, you jettison the things that you're not using and that are just adding weight. You get into a rhythm, and actually, it's a very simple existence. I know other people have said this that you've spoken to. That's almost the, the complete joy of it. You've just got to look after your gear, make sure you're taking on enough calories and and liquids, and get yourself from point A to point B every day. And, and once you start to let go of some of the anxieties that were maybe holding you back at the start, it, I think it does get easier in some ways. You start to get lonely. You start to miss people and, and miss the comforts of home. But on the other hand, yeah, you get into a rhythm that, that, does, that does make things easier as you go along. I think, I mean, Jeff said this to me before, it takes a fortnight, he thinks, to get into the zone of a multi-day trip. Yeah, I've heard that before. It might, might have been from Jeff and maybe even from others as well. yeah. You know, it's hard. It's hard to leave behind those distractions of of everyday life. The you know the, uh, the paying the bills and 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 thinking about other people's agenda. It's such a switch to um to actually only be on your own agenda. Yeah. Um. It's it's a really nice way to live. Yeah. To be completely absorbed in one activity for sixty seven days is a, an interesting existence. It really is, and I don't know if in the in the what in the ten years since I've ever. I've ever found such focus for one for one objective. Yeah, I think back to it as a time that I was just so focused on on one outcome. Complete this trip. If you can, do it quickly. You know, stay safe. But they, they were basically the only things I had to think about. It was it was really great. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned something in there about jettisoning jettisoning gear. I've always wonder, wondered about that. Did you find that you brought a lot of things at the beginning that you just didn't need? Oh man, yeah. I mean, because I didn't really have a particularly strong concept of what of what expeditioning life would be, I guess I only had the Norway trip to refer to. And on that trip, you know, there was there was a trip leader sort of doing a lot of the thinking for you. In my head I was 
like not going to see another human until I got back to Falmouth. So I needed to take loads and loads of water, loads and loads of food. For some reason I had a pair of boots packed, like a heavy boots. You realise pretty quickly you don't, you don't need all that stuff. And actually, here in the UK, you're never really far from civilization, So you can top up, you can, people can get stuff to you if you need it. So yeah, I managed to shed quite a lot of the weight of, of the stuff I'd packed. And you need space in the boat as well to, to be able to get things out as and when you need them. If your boat's like jam-packed mm-hmm. and, um, and you need, I don't know, the map for the next section, which is deep in the front hatch, you've got to empty the whole boat. So it's nice to have a little <laughs> bit of wiggle room. So what was the weirdest thing that you brought? Um, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know. I think I think the boots were a pretty hilarious oversight. <laughs> um, like a proper pair of like mountaineering boots. When in in reality, <laughs> I don't know where I thought I was going to be walking or when I thought I'd be wearing those. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of mundane, but it's also it's it's just it's it's an insight into how green I was going into that trip and how you know how I how I didn't know what I was doing and I just yeah you kind of figure it out through practice. So that that Norway trip you mentioned that was your that was your only big trip prior. Yeah, so some some decent one day trips before that. Um, in that gap year, working for for adventurous experiences, crossed over from the Isle of Man to Ireland, uh, with my friend Michael, and then Karen and I paddled over to Scotland and back as well. So this is why I was always confident I could do a big day's paddling and a bit of flat water experience, sort of going into the round Britain trip too. But um, in terms of like, yeah, like, you know, wilderness expedition and knowing how to pack a boat properly for, 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 for being out there for, for weeks on end, it was a steep learning curve. So how did you get through that learning curve? I guess just, just yeah, just through mistakes, trial and error, like loads of trial and error. I, I'm not the most organized person. Um, my friend, you know, my friends and family would laugh because that's something of an understatement. For example, like the tent that I packed, I'd bought it on eBay for <laughs> 20 quid or something and I hadn't even opened it. I just stuffed it in the kayak and set off and I opened it up on day one, landed at Senan Cove and uh, it was it was essentially a crisp packet. It was so, so obviously not fit for purpose. So just trial and error, you know, I made that mistake and then on, on day two, landed in Polzeth and some friends that I'd worked for met me there. And one of them gave me this, um, this like much better tent for the trip. Funnily enough, he also he also said to me, um, "I'm gonna give you something else. I'm gonna give you like um, like a wild card." So it's just like, um, he said, "If you can call me once any time on your trip, and I will come out and bring you something that you need." And I, ne- I you know I never called that in, but it was quite a thing to say, a good boost to know that he sort of had my back. So how did you get past the loneliness? I think some there's just some sort of adjustment that happens in your mind when when you're in that situation for so many hours because I don't know something just happens where where time just seems to sort of bend a little bit. If you asked me to go and spend ten hours on my own in a kayak now, I'd find that really really hard. <laughs> but once once you've sort of once you're into a flow, once you're into a rhythm of doing that sort of day after day. You just you just become more comfortable in your own company. You, you sort of get better at um, at focusing, and your mind stops wandering. And um, there's something quite meditative about it. 
I, I would find that I was able to recall like early memories with more ease because my mind had nowhere else to go really. So I'd be able to think thoughts through properly. And I don't know, you just sort of build this muscle of being able to sort of be in your own company and, and, and occupy yourself with your own thoughts, pay more attention to the things around you. You just seem to require less stimulation after, um, after you've spent more and more time without it. So thinking back, I know it's been a number of years now, but thinking back to those conversations that you had with yourself, what's the, what, would be, what would you say would be the funniest conversation that you had with yourself? Well, it would be hard to recall some, <laughs> like specifically. As, as, as well as sort of, the, there were times when, when I, I would just be driving myself mad, just, just out of sheer boredom. And I know um, uh, Patrick Winterton talked about the hallucinations and things that creep in, which are, I think, a product of not only exhaustion, but just pure boredom. Your mind's just looking to make patterns out of, out of, out of nothing. So I don't know if it's funny, but I, I, you'd get a song in your head and I'd, I don't know, maybe you'd sing it out loud because I'm on my own, no one's around to, to hear. And then you try and sort of park that, put that to one side, but it keeps coming back. You get these little like mind worms that just will not disappear. And yeah, it's not, it's just like, you just start to worry that, oh my God, I'm maybe I'm never going to be able to stop thinking of this thought or singing this weird little song to myself. It's just a, a, a weird little quirk of spending that much time on your own. I don't know, maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. <laughs> I guess just the sheer panic that, I'll, that I would never be able to like stop thinking a thing because it's just going round and round in a cycle. So is there a song that is creeping into your head now that you're thinking, oh, it's back? I mean, this it's it's like, it's pretty embarrassing. But basically on the, um on, on that first island crossing with, with my friend Michael, we were singing James Blunt songs. And so naturally my mind would just go back there. It's like a state dependent memory. So, so I'd often get those in my head. I don't know what you think of James Blunt. No judgment, but um, it's, it's not ideal if, if that's stuck in your head all day. Yeah. <laughs> So did you uh, did you paddle with others along the way? No, I don't think I did. Maybe no, not even once. Wow. Um, yeah, totally on my own. You know, it comes with challenges, but it's also ultimate flexibility. You're not accountable to to anyone else. You don't have to look after anyone else. You go when you're ready to go. You're not questioning the sea state in terms of like whether someone else is safe and can handle it. Yeah, although there's there's obvious challenges. You can't rationalize the like your kit and stuff. You've got to carry everything for one person. I do think it's um, it is ultimate flexibility. Yeah, I quite like that to be honest. In that trip, I'd sort of, I I think I was using like NLP, you know, neurolinguistic programming. I think I'd like trained myself to um, to like cut out certain words and have certain responses to things. Like so, in the mornings, getting up, what I would do, I I would pretend that I absolutely loved getting into wet kit. And I'd, I'd just, like, go through this ritual of, yes, this is great, oh, amazing, I'll put on, my, like, my wet um, neoprene short, yeah, perfect, this is just what I want. <laughs> and I'd, I'd sort of use these mantras as well, you know, like, I'd, I'd just kind of repeat a mantra in my head, maybe it'd just be to, like, keep my paddling technique good, I'd go clean, open, all the way. God, it was, it was like, it was, <laughs> it, it was like two people were on that trip. <laughs> <laughs> Just I, I I can imagine you standing on the on the rocks thinking I can't wait to get into this smelly gear. Oh, this is great! Yeah, oh my absolute favorite. I love putting a wet cag on at seven o'clock in the morning. 
in the rain. This is just what I like. <laughs> was the trip harder or easier than you expected? God, there were there were just real high points and low points. There's this graph that shows like how hard you you tend to find something. You know, you have this honeymoon period where spirits are high, and then after that, this this great like drop. And I reckon about a week and a half into the trip, when the whole thing is pretty much still ahead of you, but also on the same hand, you're starting to realise what you've let yourself in for. So I'd have been in sort of mid and north Wales when I had this big sort of trough. Uh, and it was probably the only moment of doubt of, of whether whether it was something I was going to see through. I, I don't know if it was doubt. I felt pretty committed at that point. But... um. Yeah, it was starting to dawn on me that I was in for a few months of this sort of st- this sort of treatment of the of the cold mornings and the lonely days, punctuated by occasional high points. You know, you'd see a dolphin, or you'd you'd, you'd get round um, a bit of a grizzly headland with a with a tide race and some some exposure. In reality, a lot of that trip is boredom. It's it's long hours in the seat of a kayak, just, just like chewing miles. And for some of that, you might get into something approaching a flow state where, yeah, the time kind of melts away and you're really in a zone doing this repetitive task. And for some of it, you feel really at one with your environment and you're sort of, yeah, you're like hyper aware of the tides and the weather and sea state and and you've got, you know, bird life keeping you company. But aside from that, it's boredom, it's total type two fun. I think they call it type two fun. Yeah. Where it's really great to look back on, but at the time it's a lot of slogging. <laughs> um, so in that regard, those moments harder than I expected. Some really hairy moments, getting around certain crux points, trying to get through headwinds day after day sometimes. But then the high points were amazing. And actually one really great thing about that trip, it was like it was sort of like um I don't know if you have the program over there. This is your life, where like they they bring someone into a studio and they sort of they bring out all their friends and their family from different points in their life. It was kind of like that, but in paddling form. Because I started at my current home in Falmouth, I uh, went back to um, North Wales where I studied and where I had so many like great paddling memories and met friends there. Paddled across to the Isle of Man where all my friends and family kind of like waved me in. And I got to hang out with them with them really briefly. I recreated that first open crossing that I'd done over to Ireland. And then even got right the way around to the East Coast and went to um, Hull, where I was born, where I had like my earlier years. So it was like this it was like this journey through like my life to that point. That was a high point. Just like seeing people and having so many people get in contact and say, We're following the trip, we're enjoying it, good luck, keep doing it. That was um that was really special. I don't think... I think you're really lucky if you get to have an experience like that where some people get married and get all their friends together in one space. Or, I don't know. It's just a rare thing to have all of your friends and family reach out to you at the same time. Um, so that was really special. It was really nice. That's uh, that's really cool that the, the trip kind of passed you, passed you through your life too. So Yeah, yeah, like geographically. It was great. <laughs> um, so people so let's talk a little bit about that tell us about some of the people you met along the way well i have to at this point just flag like how much support i did have jeff was a great support down here in cornwall he hooked me up with the boat and he he kind of just gave me that confidence to go ahead and do it there'd been so many other people who'd supported me to that point 
um, coached me, inspired me. And then my girlfriend's dad, Jez, he was sort of a support crew. He came out three, four, yeah, maybe four times to each like corner of the country and just sort of, um, he'd hang around for a few days, you know, I'd, I'd land, there'd be a hot meal ready. He'd, he'd just sort of, he'd just keep, keep me focused and, and, um, yeah, just provide a bit of support and company for a few days at a time. So he was there, he was a bit of, I wouldn't say a constant, but you know, he he came out and he kind of really broke that, that those long periods of loneliness. And the people I met along the way were remarkable. Like What I realised is that people love an adventure and people love to help. And instead of being very like sort of reticent to accept that help, I think in a way it was it was better to sort of let them in on the trip and, and like let them help me because it was just a fun thing that people wanted to be a part of. You know, I, I got put up a few times, so I got offers of like a bed or sometimes people would sort me out dinner. People were like giving money to the charity Surfers Against Sewage that I was raising money for. There were just so many people along the way who who either provided like like support in the way of like food or a bed or, or just like helping me out with running an errand or whatever. Or just people who were like really excited by the trip and would just remind me how lucky I was to be doing it and how how it was worthwhile doing and they'd sort of re-inspire me and give me energy to go again for a few more days. So God, just just the whole way around, people were were great, you know, almost without exception. People were just supportive and and generous with their time and and energy. That's so nice that people want to be connected to the trip, and uh, when you have those low points, uh, it's the people that pull you back out. Yeah, totally. It was such a fortunate set of circumstances that allowed me to just go off the radar for two, well, ten weeks most people can't do that so actually people also want to live a trip like that vicariously and again yeah just great to let them in on it like and share it as much as i could was there anything that surprised you on the trip what surprised me i i guess i saw i saw more wildlife than i might have expected saw minky whale it was great i saw so many dolphins insane amount of dolphins i saw um i saw something massive on the south coast that at the time i thought was a killer whale God knows what it was. I think I was surprised by how um, it just wasn't that hard to get by in the way of camping. You can, if you're landing late at night or not even late at night, just in the evening, I don't think anyone really minds you putting a tent up and just like and disappearing early the next day. So actually, I didn't need to sort of like book in advance or think about where I was going to land. You could pretty much, except for like really exposed sections of coastline, you can pretty much just wing it and land anywhere and. I don't know, sleep on a slipway or like sleep under a boat or camp in a park. People don't mind. It was it was great. People thought it was just funny actually. <laughs> was there anything that you felt unprepared for? In that gap year with Karen and paddling with my friend Michael, we we just pushed each other loads to to be able to tolerate bigger and bigger sea states and, and be better and better at sort of um staying in our boat should we go over and rolling and all that there was there was one day up in Aberdeen where I had to roll you know I was I was wiped out more than 10 times by sort of big stacking stacking waves that were just it was a surf zone but but like choppy steep surf that it would a wave would just rear up and that's it you you were just done I wasn't really ready for that I didn't think I would capsize once on that trip but I was yeah I was over a dozen times that day some of the sea states were, were pretty ferocious. I think that surprised me. 
but it, it shouldn't have. You know, I was I was pretty committed to going as as fast as I could, and that meant paddling on on days when it was marginal, and being twenty four years old and full of confidence. There were only uh, four days that I took off. Three of them just waiting to do the crossing over to the Isle of Man. One on the southeast coast. So I got on the water most days, you know. But yeah, even then I wasn't I wasn't quite prepared for some of the sea states, especially around the um northeast coast of Scotland that I encountered pretty rough. So knowing what you know today, would you do it again? Yeah, in a heartbeat. It was just such a great experience. Again, so so fortunate that the that the circumstances lined up to, to sort of allow me to do it. You know, the kit was I was able to pull pretty much the right kit together. I'd had that experience of training and of spending lots of time upside down in a kayak to feel confident to be out there on my own. And, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd practice putting the pieces back together when things go wrong enough that I, I think I was, I was safe enough out there. What I'm saying is that it's pretty rare that you get the chance to do something like that. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. I mean, I, I love reminiscing about that trip. Yeah, it was one of the best times of my life. It was, it was incredible. I, I for sure would do it again. So what recommendations might you give to someone else who's considering a big objective? I think getting as much input from others who've done similar as possible is really good. I'd spent a lot of time around lots of really inspiring paddlers by that point. You know, the, the, the North Wales sea kayaking community of coaches, um, people like Nigel Dennis, people like Isla Wilkinson, I'd had some time with Freya Hofmeister when she was over in the Isle of Man. And I just sort of cherry-picked as much as I could from these guys and taken confidence from their coaching. And yeah, just le- learning from others' mistakes, you know, things that other people had done wrong. Ultimately, just getting out there and doing it, though, was, was, was the biggest step. Just putting yourself on the start line and going for it. There'd been other trips before that had gone wrong and that I'd learned from. I tried to pad around the Isle of Man and and that went pretty pretty um pear shaped stopped after one afternoon of paddling with a with a boat full of water and and learned some lessons from that um i think chunking a big objective like that down into its smaller parts you know to think of such a big trip it could be pretty overwhelming so really it was just a connected series of day trips starting from my local beach you know at any point i could have just pulled the cord and, and tried again another day. I guess just, just doing it. Kind of, it's such a cliche, but just doing it is the biggest step you can take. So when you set off for that trip, was a record in your in your head? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was I was all <laughs> I was all young and full of like <laughs> competitiveness and I and you know, in the in the few years afterwards I kinda of tried to pretend that, that that hadn't been a big objective but it was I definitely like I wanted that record I mean partly egotistical reasons <laughs> but also to have such um a clear focus it it gave me it gave me that like reason to get up early in the morning and to get back on the water I think a trip like that could easily stagnate and fizzle out if you weren't if you didn't have a very clear outcome in your mind it just yeah it just focused the mind a little bit and it kept the mind busy how can I maximise the mileage for today? And how can I set myself up ready for that next open crossing? And it just it just kept me busy. So I did want to I, I did want to go at that record. And it was the record was 80. It stood at 80 days when I set off. Uh, John Willisey 
was paddling like a few weeks ahead of me and he brought the record down a good way but yeah it was it was my focus it was it was my reason to to push and so it was definitely in my eye I mean objective number one had to be to stay safe it's not a risk-free undertaking objective two was to complete the trip and objective three was to do it as quickly as possible and sometimes objective three jumped in front of objective one and two but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm older and wiser now. I don't think I don't know if I would have done it in exactly the same way if I was to set out tomorrow. Maybe I would. I don't know. So after fully dedicating yourself to a trip like this for 67 days, what was re-entry like? Um, horrible. <laughs> it was it was really hard to to come back and do you know what it felt like everyone was buzzing around in fast forward and I was in slow motion because I just had the luxury of of space and time to the extreme for 10 weeks. I had a total loss of focus. I, I didn't know what I should be doing. I felt overwhelmed. I didn't know where to put my iPod. Because <laughs> <laughs> my iPod had a really specific place. It lived in the forward-fitted day hatch. Okay. Um, my little life was so organized on that trip. You know, I, I had my systems and suddenly they weren't relevant anymore. So it was it was tough. It wasn't like a depression or anything, but it was... I was definitely lost for a good while. That probably led me to prematurely plan the island circumnavigation, which was possibly just filling a void rather than something I actually wanted to do. I don't know. It's not easy coming back from a trip like that. And that's, you know, that's 10 weeks. Some people do trips, you know, imagine paddling around Australia and then re-entering. Yeah. No thanks. <laughs> you you mentioned earlier that um you said you're not the most organized person. So... How, no. how did you how did you um how did you change that organization system and end up at the end with all those systems in place that you're now no longer having you're not used to i guess just again like just slightly brutal trial and error if you don't have a place for your ipod you're going to leave it on the beach and and now you've got nothing to listen to and that happened on day three i think i lost three ipods along the way yeah lost several caps I don't know, the trip didn't fix me, but it was just a slightly, it was quite brutal feedback because you'd have to live without the thing if you if you hadn't been organised enough to find a place for it. Yeah, the organisation was slightly forced upon me. And I guess when you've got such a clear focus of getting back to Falmouth quickly and safely, it, it does simplify things. It helps you to be more organised. And that level of organisation promptly unravelled the second that I got back to Falmouth. <laughs> I was that was actually going to be my next question: is has that yeah. has that changed you since then? No, it just <laughs> went back. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I probably regressed a bit, but um, it did make me aware that I was capable of organisation. So it gave me like a high water mark to um to aspire back to. It it was a brief period of ah, if you get organised, things things become easier you can <laughs> offload some of the uh some of the like the, the thinking power needed to just like make a cup of tea by searching for your jet boil and searching for your water actually if you know where that stuff is you can just streamline your life H- harder to apply in 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 the real world yeah in everyday life sure but yeah like i say yeah i got some learnings out of it so you mentioned ireland so how was the ireland trip different yeah, good question because it was very different, and I haven't fully, I haven't fully put my finger on why. I had a bit more kit behind me, so I had a dry suit for Ireland, which I didn't have for the UK. 
I had a nice tent and a bit more sponsorship, a bit more sort of expectation on myself to go and sort of blast around this big trip really quickly. Surely I'd go get another record. It's not how it panned out. I I made a few really big mistakes in, in preparation. I don't think um, mentally I was I was as well prepared as I could have been. I think I was less curious in the way that I had been like setting out for the Round Britain trip. I was so naive on that trip, it was great. Whereas Ireland, I had sort of expectations about how it would be. My paddle snapped just before I got out to Ireland, so I had to like get a replacement that had a really stiff shaft. And so after just a few days of paddling, my like the, the ligaments and tendons in my, in my shoulders and my elbows were shot. I really overpacked my boat. Again, I just had this feeling like I was setting off and I wouldn't see a, a human for for however long it took me to get round Ireland. That obviously wasn't the case, but I, I, I packed a really heavy boat. So basically I was slower and I was finding it harder to make mileage. And then, having set off from just south of Dublin, Bray, I got round to the west coast eventually and just got obliterated it was so stormy it was such a stormy summer and I just it was just a very chastening trip and very humbling and I I found the limit of what sea state I ever want to be in and would ever want to be in yeah it took me down a few pegs I would say spent many days stormbound on the west coast um had some frightening experiences getting around some of those four really exposed peninsulas and yeah, essentially, I mean, I made it round just about in the time that I had, but I sort of, I, I crawled back to Falmouth with my tail between my legs a little bit. So it sounds like there was some some overconfidence in there, but also some underconfidence. Yeah, I think so. Overconfidence, for sure. I was, I, I just had this expectation and for some reason put pressure on myself to like, you must go around Ireland quickly. Gotta go and beat the record. I don't even know what the record um, was thinking back I, I yeah I guess I just lost sight of it being a privilege to be doing that trip and it just for some in some way felt more like an obligation I mean it wasn't it wasn't horrific I did I did love lots of parts of it utterly beautiful island the west coast was mind-blowing the amount of um, tiny islands and archipelagos and it was remarkable I only wish going into it I, I could have known that I wasn't going to do it as quickly as I hoped, and so that I could have let go of some of that and just taken it in for what it was. Ultimate holiday in terms of like having time to yourself and the freedom to explore this really great environment. And yeah, I just wish I could have, I wish, I wish in retrospect I could have taken it for, for that opportunity rather than an obligation to go fast that I'd fully imposed on myself. No one else cared. If you had to do another big trip again, would you do it for a record or would you do it for the the sake of the trip itself? I think I'd just... If I was going to go fast again, uh, that would take quite a lot of training to get back to being able to, to do that. If I was going to go fast again, I would just want to have a really clear plan B and have some sort of trigger point, you know, maybe a schedule. If you're not, If you're not at this checkpoint by this day, just slow down and enjoy it. Maybe that's how I'd do it. That's, yeah, I'm not so sure. It's really hard to picture getting um, such a clear run to go and do such a big trip again. Maybe it'll happen again one day, but it, it feels more like um, micro-adventures are, are the way forward now for me. Oh, nothing wrong with micro-adventures. Not at all, no. 
yeah, you get a lot of bang for your buck. Like last summer, I the conditions lined up like good easterly winds, so I paddled across to the Sillies. Um, I only went one way, something around twenty nautical miles, six hours surfing downwind. It was amazing. It was it was such a great day's paddling, and then to land on this like you know on the Isles of Scilly, they're they're really great place to be. That was fantastic. You know, the more of them I can do, the better. That was great. So your boat of choice, like many who've done uh, a lot of these circumnavigations, is the John Willisey designed uh, Rockpool Terran. So John, yeah. yeah, John was a previous guest, also on uh, episode thirty-three. So, why this boat over other options? The Terran for me just hits the sweet spot of being quick at a cruising pace. So it gives you that extra, maybe a half knot over like your standard touring boat. But it's also it remains stable. It's got that flat midsection through the hull. So you can take care of all the housekeeping you need to do on a you know during an open crossing. You're not wobbling around like you're in a K1. So it just hits that sweet sweet spot of stability and and speed over ground. And then it's just a super neat boat. It swallows kit. It's light. It's a dry ride. Like through if you're paddling downwind and plowing into the troughs of waves, you don't get soaked. It splits the waves rather than sort of like them crashing over your bow. So it's just it's comfortable. It's fast. It's it's for me, it's got everything. It's great. There's, I know there's a couple of models out there that are faster. I don't know if there's anything that that sits in that sweet at that sweet spot so so nicely. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty devoted to the Taran, and I think that's what I'll continue to paddle for sure. You're still paddling today? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I've got um, have the fancy like carbon layup that's that that, that bit stiffer and lighter, and it's. I mean, it's it's an absolute dream. It's great. <laughs> All right. Um, you mentioned charity. Um, who were you supporting? I was supporting Surfers Against Sewage, which is a, it's a charity that um, they raise awareness and campaign for cleaner oceans. So that that can be to do with plastic pollution, sewage releases. Yeah, I think it's a really like crucial crucial area of work to think about the you know ocean ocean health because. I you know as well as raising money on that on that round Britain trip, I also took three pieces of litter out of the water every day. Uh, sometimes quite a bit more, but it was it was kind of heartbreaking to see the state of some of the really remote beaches, where, you know, people haven't people don't spend a lot of time there. This stuff just washes in, and um, we all know what sort of damage that can that can cause to marine life, cetacea and um, and bird life. You know, so it was a it was a cause pretty close to my heart, and it felt like one that doesn't get so much exposure so i was really glad to raise some money for that and really grateful to everyone who who donated good well thank you for making a difference pleasure so if you could do one other trip big small and just anywhere if you could go one place in the world where would it be after ireland i i teamed up with dave and paddled around vancouver island and that was a whole new level of wilderness to me you know proper wildlife bears cougars whales and there you could go days without seeing people oh man it's it's eluding me now but there's an island further north is it oh i've lost it john sorry it's all right hide Gwaii. hide yeah yeah or or is there one that's um like queen, is it queen elizabeth island or something like that uh, queen charlotte queen charlotte island yeah all right yeah basically i think i think justine kagenvan did a trip around either Haida Gwaii or Queen Charlotte or both, and that looked like another level of wilderness on top of Vancouver Island. 
So I, I think one of those, I think a proper wilderness trip, put the, the, put the speed work to one side. Yeah, just sort of um, get lost in it. That would be great. Excellent. Well, I hope that opportunity comes up for you. Yeah, I hope so. So you mentioned you're a teacher now. What do you teach? I teach geography. I teach geography in a special ed school, which is great. I get loads of chances to um to bore my students to death with with uh, <laughs> paddling stories and share my passion of like coastal geography and um sea kayaking with them. That's very cool. I bet they. I bet they're not bored. I bet they find it fascinating. Yeah, I'm not so sure. If they if they are bored, they're really good at pretending they're not because I think they quite like it. Yeah, and they'll remember it. So, Joe, how can listeners reach you if they've got additional questions uh, about about your trips? Instagram, uh, Joe Leach Five. Yeah, people could find me an email at Joe Leach Five at gmail dot com. You know, I'm I'm not currently coaching, but I'm I'm always keen to talk. Um, expeditioning and performance paddling. So if people have got questions, um, I'm I'm here. Fantastic. Well, yeah, Joe, it's been great talking to you today and and learning from you and learning about your trips and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. So I've got one last question for you. It's a question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? There's um, a local guide, local to me, he's in Falmouth. Uh, he's called James Roberts. He I've worked a little bit with him. He's just someone who is like, he is forging a career in such a niche area, sea kayak guiding, down in this quaint little part of the world we call Cornwall. And he, um, he's just like, he's just living it fully. You know, he guides these multi-day trips. He, 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 um, he's done some of his own significant open crossings. He's just extremely passionate and really good at communicating his, his, um, his love for the sport. So I think he'd be, I think he'd make a great guest. Fantastic. Well, I'll connect with you offline. We'll get Joe's information and, uh, and get him on the show. Great. Sorry, not Joe, James. Um, James. You're Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Again, it's been fantastic talking to you. I loved hearing about the trips and, and just really learning from you. And I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, John. Take care. Yep. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, power to the paddle, is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or white water, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. Joe's story really gave it a lot of insight into why he did the trip, what it's like to live in that moment, and what it's like to return to mainstream life. I hope you enjoyed his perspective. I know I did. And if you've got a trip going to Haida Gawaii, hit up Joe. You'll find his contact information, as well as information about Surfers Against Sewage, in the show notes. So visit www.paddlingtheblue.com and click on episode 70 to learn more. Our next episode will feature Ollie Hicks, and Ollie and George Bullard pulled off an incredible trip from Greenland to Scotland. Ollie has rode the Atlantic, he's been down every continent and every ocean, and I can't wait to share this one with you as well. So until next time, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. 
You can subscribe to Peddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.